Whether you work downtown or live downtown, it's definitely an interesting and eclectic area in just about any city you visit. One of my favorite places to visit in my favorite cities is always the downtown area. There's always cool restaurants and interesting people down there. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends. It's good to see you made it back for another video. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends. It's good to see you made it back for another episode. Today, I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true downtown horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future video, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. This is a new topic, I haven't covered it before on the channel, and I'm excited to get into these stories. So sit back, relax, and let's get into these creepy and allegedly true downtown horror stories. I'd like to start this off by saying that I'm a 19-year-old girl, about 5'5", weighing 110 pounds. To many people, I'm considered tiny and approachable. To give a little backstory, I have worked at a pharmacy for the last year and a half, mainly doing grunt work like garbage runs, filing, making boxes, and the like, along with my normal prescription filing duties. My office is in a pretty sketchy part of downtown in a major city. It is on the third floor of a four-story building that faces a busy road in the front. It's an older rundown residential area where the garbage bins are fenced in next to the underground parking entrance. Directly across the alley that the bins are in is a worn yellow house that rarely sees the light through the overgrown trees and vegetation in the yard behind the gate. I never really saw anyone in or around that house during my daily garbage runs, though I did notice two exceptionally large cane corso dogs that were caged on the rickety deck. I kept getting that feeling of being watched during one of my more recent trips on taking out the bins. I hesitantly glanced towards the creepy yellow house to find nothing out of the ordinary. Now I am an avid horror fan. I used to be a little spooked by cliches like creepy houses and I would spend my days being paranoid over everyday circumstances constantly looking behind my shoulder and being suspicious of everyone that moves around me. So I chalked it up to me just being paranoid. The feeling never subsided though. So as I rushed to finish the job, I took one last peek behind me and saw a very tall, slender man with unkempt, shaggy gray hair, wearing a tattered white tank top with holes and stains, peering out the bay window over the deck and straight at me. At this point, I had never seen someone living there, and I had never seen anyone at all around the house. My customer service instinct kicked in, and I gave him the best polite smile I could form. He did not return it, and continued to burn his eyes into my being. After what seemed like a few hours, I slowly retreated out of sight, never breaking eye contact. This was just my first encounter with this man, but by God, do I wish it were my only one. The next few times were normal, with me glancing every now and then to see nothing but the pitch black inside of the house and a few birds fluttering around the yard, until the day that is burned into my brain forever. It was a hot and sunny Tuesday, and I had worn a navy dress to keep me cool during the day. The time comes for me to do my garbage trip, and I grabbed my box cutting knife and slipped it into my dress pocket, pulling my small cart of cardboard and garbage around the fence and into the partially enclosed area of bins. I look across the alleyway and see the man standing on his deck. He walks over to the cages and lets the dogs out, and they sprint down the stairs of the deck and up to the chain link fence, surrounding the yard and begin barking ferociously in my direction. After getting refocused on my job, I periodically peered over my shoulder and out of the corner of my eye to keep tabs on this man until the last time 
I did so, I could no longer see him standing on his deck, but rather, he was slinking along the sidewalk outside of his fence. In the shadows of the trees from his yard, he paced back and forth, about 30 feet in each direction before spinning back around to go to the other way. I began panicking and rushing, catapulting the cardboard into the bin, and that is when I heard the sound, rocks from the gravel alley being scuffled under heavy footsteps. I mustered up all the courage I could and turned my entire body to face the man, my hand in my pocket gripping the knife tightly, ready to defend myself. To my horror, the man was less than 10 feet in front of me, head down, staring at the ground with one hand behind his back and one in his pocket. As he closed the gap between us, I heard a voice from behind me, to my left. I turned to investigate the voice. It was a young man, a tall, gawky man, probably around 23 or 24. I recognized him from the cafe on the first floor. He had a garbage bag in his hand. He asked me, is that your cart? I glanced towards the cart and dumbfounded, I responded with a yes. He struck up a conversation with me and came close and rested his hand on my shoulder and looked me in the eyes and whispered, come with me. He grabbed my cart and began walking towards the building. And this is when I turned back to look at the man who had scurried back across the alley to his fence scrambling to open the latch while shoving something into his pocket and cursing under his breath, shooting daggers at the cafe man. When we made it back into the parking lot adjacent to our building, he stopped and said I was on my way to the bins when I noticed the man coming towards you. I hoped asking you about your car and being near you would deter him from whatever he was thinking of doing. Now, you be safe and bring a partner every time you are down here, or you can come grab me if no one else can help. We said our goodbyes, and I thanked him profusely. I never went down alone again after telling my co-workers what had happened. To the young man in the cafe, at the time your small talk seemed meaningless and forced, but it very well could have been the reason that I am still alive today. So thank you for being my hero and saving me from a possible life-threatening attack. I'm a retired parole officer with a large agency. During the first part of 2000, we moved our office to the downtown area of the city to be closer to the courthouses. The building that we leased had been a bank. It was a four-story complex with a basement, coal chute, and three steam boilers for heating. The building was old but suited our needs. I was assigned the responsibility of coordinating the move, which took several weeks. The building had two vaults, one with a large round vault door, which was where the cash and other valuables were kept. The other vault was a large room with a metal fireproof door. We used this room for our briefings and other meetings. It was large enough to accommodate 50 people or so. As the months passed, strange things started happening in the building to different people. Things being moved, feelings of a presence or cold spots in the building by many, many different people. Other things like apparitions and sightings and noises that could not be explained were happening a lot, and people were even being affected physically. This continued through our first year in the building and grew to such a magnitude that I was approached by the civilian staff to talk to our chief about doing something to eradicate the problem. The reason I was approached was that I was the safety coordinator for the office along with all of my other duties as a police officer. As a parole officer in this state, we are also category one police officers with full peace officer powers, and we wear many hats. One of the requests I received was from a Native American woman who knew a shaman in the area and requested that the building be cleaned by burning sage. Well, I had issues with this request, but the people being affected by whatever was going on seemed to be genuine. These people were not only our employees, but they were also friends, and they were looking for help. I knew that if I took this story and request to our chief, that he would most likely laugh me out of his office. Fortunately, I had a pretty solid relationship with him, so I picked the right time and one morning walked into his office and presented the request to him. Just as I expected, he got a good laugh out of it. He then decided to share this with our director, whom I also knew. 
Well, both got a great laugh out of it at my expense. As it turned out, the chief denied my request and I was sent off with my tail between my legs. Knowing that the problem still existed, I went to my staff and explained what had happened with the chief and went on to tell them that whatever they decide to do is up to them. Just keep it to themselves. So for a while, things quieted down. We did not cleanse the building just yet since everyone thought things were getting back to normal with no unusual incidents. Then, one evening, while I was on the third floor with my female partner getting ready to go on patrol, we heard the door from the stairs open and a considerable amount of noise that sounded like our maintenance people coming up to clean, which was normal for that time of night. Things were rattling, clanging, etc. We both called out to them and let them know we were in the building, but no one responded. The noise kept up and we called out again, but still, no response. That is when we both looked at each other and gave each other the look of, oh crap, what's going on? Guns drawn, we headed out into the building to find absolutely no one there. No equipment, no nothing. We searched the entire building and found not a single soul. No animals, no rats, not even a bug. No one was there at all. Both of us got the hell out of there and went on our patrol. We took our individual patrol cars home that night rather than return to the office. We followed up the next day with the maintenance staff who assured us they were not there that night. Things went back to normal for a couple of weeks. A former officer of ours who had left the department to start her own EMS service paid me a visit while she was in town on business. I related the story about the building to her and she became extremely interested in it. She asked if she could come back one evening while she was still in town and take pictures of different parts of the building because if there were supernatural entities, they sometimes show up as orbs in the photographs. I agreed and a couple of evenings later, she arrived with a camera. Another officer wanted to join us, so like three little kids, we turned off all the lights in the building and started taking flash pictures on all floors. These were the days before digital cameras were available, so we used the disposable Kodak camera. We took several pictures, and just as she thought, many of the photos had orbs in them. This was very freaky. Now, I do not know if this has any correlation, but soon after taking those pictures, the unusual activity started up again, and this time with greater intensity and frequency. One night, while one of our sergeants was securing the building, he was in the basement where the vault is that we use for meetings. We had just turned off all the lights in that room, and were working our way down the hallway past a kitchen that we use for breaks. Suddenly, the lights he had just turned off in the meeting room came back on, then went off and repeated this continually. Papers and other articles began flying in the room as well. This sent him running from the basement and out the front door for the rest of the night. He reported this to a very select group of people, which included his lieutenant who laughed at him when he heard the story. The following is what we call instant justice. A few nights later, that very lieutenant that had laughed at the sergeant's experience was in the very basement doing the same activities as the sergeant. As the lieutenant was securing the lights, he walked by the kitchen area turned out those lights, and began walking down the long hallway toward the door that leads to the stairs to take you upstairs and through the front door. Before he even got to the door at the end of the hall, all hell broke loose in the kitchen. The lights came on and off repeatedly. Pots, pans, eating utensils, plates, etc. began flying across the room making a horrendous noise. Well, he beat feet out of there as quickly as he could. He is still not returned and will not go back to that place at night. So now we come full circle back to my office, the same location that my partner and I had heard the noises thinking it was the maintenance people. I had been in the office earlier getting ready to go on patrol on the evening shift. My sergeant's office is directly around the corner, maybe five feet away from my door. 
Prior to me leaving, I bid her a goodbye and took off. She was the only person in the office now, and it was dark. Suddenly, she saw someone walk into my office. It was no one else she recognized, so she called out to the male figure who did not respond. Before I go any further, it should be noted that there have been occurrences where someone has snuck into our building for whatever reason in the past. The sergeant drew her weapon and gave pursuit. She later went on to tell me that the male figure was wearing what she can describe as black floor-shine shoes with black slacks, and as she followed his torso, it began to turn to a haze. The apparition continued to walk through my desk and disappeared. She moved her office immediately after that experience. I stayed where I was. This was the last straw. So I went to the staff and wanted to do the cleansing and gave them the go-ahead. One weekend after our shaman came in, he walked through the building with our staff, pointing out particularly troubling areas of the building. She would not go into detail, but related that certain people were going to meet with some type of tragedy. She then cleansed the building by burning sage and after that, we haven't really had any trouble. This was New Year's Eve of 1994. I was a senior in high school. My friends and I would party hop from one another every weekend. We were in a very big hurry to get to a certain keg party before all the beer ran out. We had already been drinking for the last hour since we found a homeless guy to buy us a case of beer. This was the way we usually got our booze. It was not hard to find some street guy happy to get a free bottle for himself. The case was quickly running out and we were all eager to keep our buzzes going. It was about an hour before midnight, and we were still a good two miles away from the party. My friend who was driving decided to take a shortcut through the downtown area of our city. Downtown was usually dead this time of night, and this night was no different. We were stopped at a red light a few blocks away from where a Mustang and a motorcycle were waiting for the light to change. Their light changed at the same time as ours, and we could tell the Mustang and motorcycle were racing each other. It was about a hundred yard race to the next light. They were running head to head at first but the bike quickly pulled in front. And what I could only assume was them showing off, the guy on the bike popped a wheelie while continuing to pull ahead of the Mustang at the time. I cannot say I was impressed by this clown show, but we drove slowly and hung back, watching it all unfold. The bike was about three car lengths ahead when he lowered back to two wheels and lost control soon after, swerving to the left and into the path of the Mustang. The driver of the Mustang had no chance of stopping in time and collided and rolled over the bike and its rider. If I had to guess, I would say the car was going around 85 miles an hour. My friend slammed on the brakes just in time for us to watch the rider being spit out from the car. The motorcycle had somehow flipped over the hood of the car and buried itself in the windshield. Both drivers were more than likely killed instantly. The Mustang quickly lost speed and slowly rolled to a stop against the left-hand curb. No one in my car said a word. We were so shocked, and all we could do was watch the scene, waiting and hoping someone would move, but nothing happened. After sitting in silence for several minutes, I quietly leaned forward in my seat and told my friend to take me home and to call the police. He did not speak or face me. He simply put the car into gear and made a right turn. What happened after I was dropped off, I really don't know. I can say for myself, witnessing that caused a large shift in the way I lived my life from then on. Some people may ask, why we did not try to render aid to those two men. They do have a good argument, but I can only say that I personally was far too freaked out to help anyone, and I had no skills at all, no CPR training, nothing. Because of this, I wanted to be anywhere other than there, with these two people. When my friends and I spoke about the incident a few days later, it never entered the conversation. It was all just a given in our minds that they were both dead. According to the news the following day, our assumptions were correct.
Both men had died instantly. The driver of the Mustang was a 19-year-old kid. He was almost beheaded by the impact of the motorcycle. That night marked the end of my careless drinking and partying. After we returned to school, I began focusing on my schoolwork and impending graduation. A couple of other guys carried on as usual, and their lives ended in varying levels of disappointment and loss. Focusing on my future paid off greatly, and that was only because of how I altered the way I was living and my life priorities. Despite the tragedy that occurred that night, it showed me in clear detail how living your life in such a reckless way could end so badly. Continuing the path I was on, I feel, really would have meant those young men lost their lives for nothing, and that is truly the tragedy. I'm a 22-year-old female, and I've been with my boyfriend, a 21-year-old male, for almost 8 years. In the spring of 2019, we decided to finally get an apartment and move in together. We're both college students and do not have a ton of money, so our options were limited. While searching, I came across a relatively cheap studio apartment in downtown Minneapolis, only a 5-minute bus ride from my college. After talking it over, we decided that this was the place. While it was in a sketchy neighborhood, we were smart kids and knew how to keep safe. Our parents were a little nervous, but nevertheless supportive. We moved in two weeks before my 21st birthday. We were so excited to finally have a place of our own. It did not matter how small or dingy. Anyway, as time went on, we began to realize why the apartment was so cheap. Often, we would need our apartment to be fumigated for roaches, appliances would not work, druggies would break into the building, and packages would be stolen. All of this was upsetting, but things that could be ignored. Things were going fine until summer of 2020. Over the summer, my boyfriend and I decided to move in to my parents while keeping our apartment. With the pandemic raging, we knew we would want to be able to see our families and thought the communal living would be the best and safest choice. While we were gone, new tenants had moved in. When we came back in early August, we discovered that the couple across the hall from us had moved and a new woman had taken her place. We will call this woman Nancy. Nancy was a middle-aged woman. I would like to say early 30s, but with the drugs we later came to find out she was doing, it was really hard to tell her real age, seeing as they had made her age quite a bit. It took a while for us to realize that our previously quiet neighbors had moved and Nancy had taken their place. After passing her in the hallway and watching her enter her apartment, we came to understand, but that's when things got weird. We noticed a man coming around the apartment late at night. He was not a tenant and made it clear by banging on the outside door. He would yell and kick at the door and scream for Nancy to come let him in. At first, we thought he may be her boyfriend, but we could tell quickly that that was not the case. We emailed management about this and as he kept coming around extremely late at night and the window overlooked the door. We could see anyone and everyone who would come and go. They thanked us for notifying them and to keep them updated as necessary. This was the 13th of August. The second incident happened on August 20th. By now, we have both met Nancy and her boyfriend, Justin. Nice enough people. Kept to themselves but liked to party. On August 20th, around dinner time, there was a very loud pounding on our hallway door. It is a big metal door that management had installed a lock on to lessen the chances of homeless people people getting into the hallways of the residence. The banging went on for a good five minutes and consisted of shouting and threats. It was hard not to notice. Eventually, we heard Justin let the gentleman in, and we realized it was the same man from before. Justin denied the man entry to their apartment, going as far as to lock him out of their door. The man began kicking their door and telling them to open the hell up. Justin did, but left the slide lock on. At this point, my boyfriend, watching the interaction through the peephole, watched this gentleman pull out a gun out of his pants and flash it to Justin. At this point, my boyfriend was watching the interaction through our peephole. He was watching this gentleman pull out a gun and flash it to Justin. 
The door was then shut and unlocked. The man entered and the night was quiet. A little shaken, we considered calling the cops but instead decided to simply email management. To this, we got no reply. Just a short three days later, on August 23rd, we did however decide to call the cops. This time the same thing happened, but the gentleman was never let into their apartment and he pulled a weapon out in the hall claiming he was going to shoot. He left before the police arrived. Again, we emailed management and received no response. By now, we were nervous as our neighbors were a clear threat to us. Now, in between the last event and the one I'm going to detail, there were many shouting matches between Nancy and Justin. Many more times did their friend come back and make a scene, but it was very much the same as before, including breaking our hall door by kicking it so hard and pulling it off the handle. Now, September 8th rolls around, and this next thing happened. It is one of the three events that has made me jump every time I hear a loud noise. Around noontime, I was in class on Zoom. From my desk, with my headphones on, I could hear another fight ensuing across the hall. I prayed for it to be something that ended soon, but I was not so lucky. Within minutes, the fight escalated from screaming into hitting, punching, and throwing. Nancy was screeching that she was going to kill Justin and that he was killing her. Shakily, my boyfriend went to the door to get a better idea of the seriousness of this fight. After she continued screaming, I decided to call 911, explaining to the operator that once again the tenants were fighting. She told me the cops were on their way. Then... There was a noisy thwack and a loud scream. Before we hung up, Justin swung open the door with blood pouring from his head. I informed the operator that Justin was bleeding and to send an ambulance. When the first responder showed up, Nancy refused to open the door. The cops were talking to her through the door and she kept insisting that it was not them that had been fighting. This may have been believable had there not been a trail of blood leading from their doorway. After about 10 minutes, Nancy finally let them in and explained that she had been liking a guy's photos on Facebook and Justin got jealous. So he threw her phone, leading them to get into a fight. One thing leads to another and she picked up a hammer and hit him in the head. No charges were filed and everyone went on with their day as if nothing had ever happened. I, on the other hand, was traumatized. No more than a week later, Justin was back at the apartment. Their nightly fights continued, and you could almost hear a collective groan of our neighbors the night he came back. We later came to learn that Justin was never actually a tenant, only Nancy was, and that they were likely doing favors for their friend. We saw him come around occasionally, but not as often as before. He did, however, manage to get a key. He always came with an empty duffel bag and left with a filled one. I had the suspicion that they were working with drugs and he was the dealer. Anyways, on September 16th, the morning after my 22nd birthday, I woke up around 8am to a quiet sobbing sound. I could not exactly distinguish who I was hearing or where it was coming from. I was a bit hungover and was not really sure if I was fully awake. I walked up to our window to get a better breeze in when I noticed three cop cars outside our building. They were all standing there questioning Justin. Oh great, I thought to myself. I walked to our door and sure enough Nancy stood giving a tearful story to an officer. I shook my head and decided to go back to bed. Around noon, I was again in class when a loud shriek broke the silence. My stomach dropped and I got a weird feeling. Connor walked over to the door and heard a few people in panicked voices across the hall. There's a woman crying over there, he told me. I want to go check in on her. She sounds hurt. I got up and checked and I heard it too. There was also a man saying, crap, crap, what now? In a whispered shout. Oh boy. Call the cops. You do not know what's going on out there. Within minutes, the cops had arrived. Connor had just gotten off the phone with the dispatcher when six cop cars and an ambulance pulled up. The cops and paramedics were let into the building by one of the downstairs tenants and escorted them up to the apartment. Within minutes, a woman was escorted out on a gurney, bleeding heavily from a stab wound in her abdomen. We later came to find out that Nancy nor Justin had even been home, but that three of their friends had been there hanging out. One gentleman was tweaking on whatever they were dealing with and got upset by something a woman had said. 
so he stabbed her. Until we called management, they had no idea what had happened. When they came to visit Nancy to inform her that one more strike and she would be evicted, she cursed at them through the door and told them to be more compassionate. I was irate. The last straw came not even a week later. At 4.42 a.m. on September 19th, I woke up to a blood-curdling scream from Nancy. He's killing me! He's killing me! She shrieked. I leaped out of bed shaking. I grabbed my phone and tearfully begged the dispatcher to tell the officers to hurry. This screaming went on for 20 minutes before an officer arrived. Again, like all the times before, Connor went down to let the officers in. He pounded on the door and demanded to be let in. Both Justin and Nancy denied the entrance. Furious, I thought, like all the times before, the officer would simply walk away. But this time, he actually did something. This time, he told them they would either open the door or he would kick it down, as he was the first officer to ever actually be present for their arguments and he had heard the claims that Justin was going to kill her. Within two days, Nancy was evicted. I'm still afraid that she will send someone after us for getting her evicted, as the last officer did not make it so secretive as to who called and reported them. While she was friendly to our face, we could hear her making threats after each time cops had been called. I'm excited to say that after I graduate this spring, I'll be moving, and hopefully never have to experience these things again. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true downtown horror stories. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to give this episode a thumbs up, as it helps me out a ton in the YouTube algorithm. The more likes this video gets, the more they promote it. If you're listening to this on iTunes, it would be super helpful if you give this a 5-star rating. It helps me out a ton and is very much appreciated. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us and help us expand our ever-growing waters? Hit that subscribe button and turn on notifications to never miss a new episode as I upload them almost every single day and all things natural and supernatural. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future video, whether it be from the outdoors, a downtown area, or something entirely different, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. In specific, I'm looking for truck driver stories right now, so if you have one, Send it on. So, if you have one, send it on in at swampdweller.net. If you're on the go, but want to listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories wherever you go, but don't have YouTube Premium, you can download your favorite episodes for free from iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and just about everywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. If you're looking to support the channel outside of hitting that like button, subscribing to the show, and giving us a 5-star rating on iTunes, maybe check out our merch store. We have face masks, shirts, and just about everything else you could want. Check it out. I'd love to see you guys wearing some cool Swamp threads. Thank you guys, as always, for supporting the Swamp the way you do. I'll see you guys soon with another creepy video.